Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, billions is being pumped into economies the world over to try and fix the coronavirus and ensure that economies can bounce back at the end of it. But will it work? And more to the point, who are the real beneficiaries? Will money get to the businesses and people who really need it? Or will we have lots of people in debt at the end, hindering the chance of any sort of rapid recovery? And whether by chance or design, will we also see the financial sector as one of the main beneficiaries of these interventions by governments and central banks? In other words, is it the global financial crisis all over again? That's today on the Debunking Economics podcast. And Steve Keen is with me again. I'm Phil Dobby. So with all the money being splurged on keeping the economies of the world afloat during the coronavirus outbreak, who is it really helping? Uh, look at the uh, the global financial crisis and uh, the people who drove us into trouble there really came out largely unscathed. Take the CEO of Lehman Brothers. Uh, he's still working. He's running a wealth fund. But he said that the government was responsible for the Lehman Brothers collapse, for promoting home ownership and giving people access to cheap credit. Nothing to do with him. It was all the government's fault. Now it's not banks collapsing. It's shops and small businesses and big businesses, of course, like airlines as well, with millions of people losing their jobs. So, Steve, is it again going to be a case that Wall Street is supported whilst Main Street or High Street is left to fend for itself? Is it the GFC all over again? Well, I think that's the danger because, I mean, last time, if you look at things like, for example, the uh, TARP, the Travel Asset Recovery Program, I think it was the name, T-A-R-P, that was the the major uh, initial fund, at least, that the American government threw at the financial crisis. And part of that was supposed to be a scheme for rescuing uh, mortgagees who couldn't longer pay their mortgages and couldn't do the jingle mail trick. And the the number of people who got money out of that scheme was trivial, Uh, whereas the, the money just went pumped into Wall Street mm. uh, in a dramatic way. I mean, I know the comp- one of the companies was involved in managing that fund. It would, ended up being not of the order of four times as much as $700 billion. Uh, and then you had the quantitative easing taking place. And the whole idea of QE was quite deliberately to drive up share prices. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. They bottomed, I think it's, I, I still love the fact that they bottomed this S&P 500 bottomed at 666 points and then turned around towards 3,000. Uh, all on the idea that people would spend out of the wealth effect uh, when, in fact, even the research by a little obscure little organisation called the Federal Reserve <laughs> showed there was no um, wealth effect out of shares. So it's, it's, mm-hmm. if anything, wealth effect at all was trivial and out of housing. So, yeah, the Wall Street managed to turn the whole thing to its favour. And they got away with it because people were in the streets but they weren't starving. Yeah. And I think this time around it's going to be different. I mean, this time around, yes, they'll try to do exactly the same thing. Yes, they've got the ear of the politicians. Uh, yes, they'll have the spin doctors telling the politicians, you know, a bit like that scene from um, uh, Blazing Saddles, which I probably can't use the, the punchline from anymore. Uh, but when the sheriff puts a gun against his head and says, make a mad move and the uh, the, the black guy gets it, um, uh, they can't pull that trick again. Mm. So, um, 
Yeah, it, 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 to me it's going to be much messier than last time round. Oh. As, as last time, it, the rest, it should have been Main Street that was rescued, not Wall Street. But as last time round, Wall Street has the year of the politicians. Right, but we can't have banks fail, though, can we? I mean, because banks have got people's t- money tied up in it. So we, we don't want... I mean, we want both, don't we? The question is, yeah. are we helping Wall Street and supporting those people who could perhaps do with a little less rather than necessarily banks falling over entirely? Yeah, I mean, I, I, right from the very outset, I, one of my first posts on the topic was to say we have to uh, provide the cash flow that enables people to meet their financial commitments now. Otherwise, mm. the system will collapse because I'm not particularly concerned about the credit system right now. I'm concerned about the payment system. But because yeah. payments are caught up in the credit system, we all use our, 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 you know, our bank accounts as the means to transfer money to somebody else's bank account uh, when we go shopping. And also when we pay our rent and pay our mortgage, if we're not getting the inflow, then the, particularly in in America's case, there are tens, if not tens of millions of houses, possibly up to 100 million houses in America, where the owner, where the, the renter or the the, um, the mortgagee, mortgagee can only yeah. afford one month worth of payments. And yeah. once that one yeah. month is gone, that's it. Now, of course, that means, first of all, they can no longer put food on the table if they prioritise paying their rent or their mortgage. And then one month later, they can't even pay their rent or their mortgage. So they fall over first and then the financial system falls over. We just can't allow that to happen. But No. And hey, guess what? Well. That's the way most of us live. I couldn't go uh, a few months without paying the mortgage. And in fact, the only reason we, we've got a bit of a buffer is because my wife got a, a a bit of a bonus a couple of months ago. So we've uh, we've actually got a buffer that we wouldn't have had a few months ago. We would have been in deep shtum if we uh, if if we lost our income coming out of all of this. Because the first thing central banks do is lower interest rates further, if that was possible, down to zero basically, which is great for governments issuing bonds. If it uh, mattered. You know, if you, if it mattered, but I mean, they still think it does. Uh, but of course, small businesses don't get uh, that level of access, do they? They don't get zero percent interest uh, interest loans. They don't even get access to the loans in the first place, and they can't afford to yeah. service the loans to begin with. So, yeah, it, it, it is one of those cases where the fact that the payment system is tied up with the credit system is a major issue. If you look at countries like Japan, which I think Japan still has the postal uh, post office ba- uh, bank system, so a large number of Japanese bank through the post office. Which which is a public entity, and uh, they can make payments from their accounts there. So if there's a collapse in the, in the credit-based bank, it doesn't affect the payments as much in Japan as it does in the rest of the world. But if we, because we're all relying upon commercial banks to make our ordinary payments, if we can't make our ordinary payments, then we've collapsed first and the banks follow shortly afterwards. One of the first things, other than dropping interest rates, was also looking at liquidity in, uh, in, in the, in the um, transactions, in, in, in banking transactions, in the uh, in the what are called the repo markets, and they were worried about that last year, so it's not just a coronavirus thing. But the more I look into that, that is really, uh, I mean, uh, the, the part of the reason why some of that money is disappearing, I mean, the, the repo markets are basically the overnight markets, aren't they? So uh, it's how banks balance out. I owe, I need some money because uh, I've, uh, you know, because I've, I've got liquidity issues in my bank, but it's only short term, so I'll get some money from another bank overnight, and then we'll sort it out, and we'll pay you back with a bit of interest. With that, that interest is zero now because it's basically what determines the uh, the interest rate. That's how the repo markets work. But there's it's not just banks, is it? Because bank, in fact, half the time the banks are not going through these repo um, uh, uh, agreements. They they're just dealing with them themselves. The issue is actually. Uh, companies like um, uh, hedge funds that are actually uh, using these uh, th- this short term uh, low interest repeatedly 
in a in a speculative way to fund highly leveraged long term funding. So they're getting, in other words, they're getting money on the cheap. So in a way, by the by the Fed putting money into the into the repo markets, they're helping these hedge funds perhaps more than they're uh, they're helping the the real banks and hedge funds. What do they do for the real economy? You're the, the Fed's bailing them out, but what good are they to the real economy? Yeah, well, I mean, you going to always try to argue that they help in price discovery, and that's really interesting. They discovered a negative price for oil uh, yesterday. <laughs> um, so the the whole idea that this is a useful service, uh, I think, is, is just one of these. Uh, elements where they pretend that it's the price discovery that matters when it's really enormous speculative positions where they win extremely well if they're on the right side of the trade and they can get wiped out on the other. Uh, 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 Keynes once made the remark about how if the investment profile of a country is set by the activities of a casino, the job is likely to be all done. Well, that's what we've been doing for the last 30 years. And we are going to see the finance sector grow out of all of this, aren't we? Obviously, because we are going to see more loans happening. So any hope that uh, this might actually see a more of a balance uh, in terms of uh, of income disparity, it's going to get worse, isn't it? I'm not sure. I mean, this is one area where I, I mean, one thing I've you know arguing for a modern debt jubilee at least since 2011, and saying that the only way to be to get out of the crisis is to reduce the private debt levels it caused, and using you know, basically give everybody, whether they're a debtor or a, uh, a saver, uh, a cash injection which can be used to either pay down debt or get a cash injection to those who didn't have debt in the first place. So there's no no bias in favour of the people who gambled and speculated. Uh, but I never thought that had a hope in hell of having any chance of uh, happening. And for that reason, I, I haven't updated the, the document. I wrote about it since about 2012. But, it but you don't think it could happen? Yeah, I think it could. I mean, it certainly happened to some degree in the sense that, you know, the universal basic income type concepts are turning up, being done half-heartedly. And, mm, you know, with not, tim- enough. not enough. Not enough in too many be- conditions. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, but yeah. being and, done. And issued and issued by the ba- issued by um by the by the government issuing bonds which they are still expected to to pay back. So it's not helicopter money. It's just a bond that's it's got a maturity to it. It might be a long term and it might be low interest. But the expectation is that that's going to be uh, that, that 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 money is going to be paid back at some point. Yeah, we still haven't broken out of that mindset that the bank government has to borrow to have its own money, uh, mm. which is one of the you know, at, at least to some extent. Uh, what happens during a panic is that the conventional wisdom gets thrown out the window because the conventional wisdom led to the situation of panic in the first place. That was what happened back in the global financial crisis, and for a short while you had governments doing sensible things, and then bang, they went back to the because the world didn't end on that. Uh, on the on you know that day in August in 2007, uh, then they've gone back to the conventional thinking, and of course the the finance sector still dominates that. So I'm afraid these yeah. these ideas are going to be blocked by the financial sector. Uh, yeah. And, and almost by everybody else as well, because there's a one-word answer. The moment you start talking about, well, you know, let, let's not issue bonds that have got a maturity to them. Let's just uh, issue money to the government to, to support its needs and uh, just keep an eye on inflation, which is the only consequence of all of that. There's a one-word answer to all of that, which uh, a lot of people come out with very quickly. Venezuela. Oh, I was going to say Zimbabwe. Damn, I got oh, the Zimbabwe. wrong one. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's the <laughs> Down that end of the yeah, I mean, the, the, the fact that people can effectively say, "Look, this person's uh, had a heart attack," and the last thing we want to do is support their heart, uh, <laughs> because the, if we support their heart now, they want to have a ventilator at all times, and they walk around the street. I mean, give me a break. Um, mm. it, it it is insanely uh, stupid to apply that thinking, but that won't stop it being applied. Yeah. 
So we're not going to see that happen, are we, this, uh, this time around? Or do you think if this thing goes on for a long time and governments are racking up more and more debt, at some point they're going to say, well, look, we're never going to be able to pay this back. And, uh, uh, and do we have to worry about inflation? Do we have to worry about inflation, for example, when oil <laughs> is worth minus $40? Yeah, I mean, this, again, I, one of the posts on the Patreon site uh, is, is saying, do we face inflation or deflation? And my vote has mm. always been with deflation because, again, the, the reason and this is so much more a serious a crisis than it could have been, uh, is because we accumulated all this private debt in the run-up to the global financial crisis, did not eliminate it, and now all the debtors are incredibly financially fragile. So as soon as their cash flow stops, so does their capacity to service that debt, and then the financial sector falls over as well. Now, that's obvious to me. It's obvious to anybody who listens to this podcast, but it's not even in the brains of the economists that are advising the politicians and most of the politicians themselves who are obsessing about government debt. So in some ways, it's, it's incredibly frustrating. It's like watching somebody, uh, you know, crash a car by turning the wheel the wrong way around a roundabout. You know what to do, but you're stuck in the passenger seat. And yet the, the approach for the, for, the, uh, for the non-government sector is largely loans, isn't it? We are seeing some government money to, uh, to, to try and help furloughed workers. But as you say, not enough. It's basically minimum wage. And most, you know, guess what? Most people aren't on minimum wage, so they, but they still have uh, mortgages to pay and, and all that sort of stuff. But on top of that, then we get uh, loans as well. So there's the payment payroll protection program, uh, which is in the United States, low cost loans to companies of less than 500 people for keeping their employees on their bank well, on their books. So that's the way they're doing it in the US. In, in Australia and in the UK, we are basically saying, "Yep, yeah, here's the money." Uh, it's it's 80% in the case of the UK of uh, of, uh, of of the uh, lowest wage, I think. In the US, they're saying, "Yep, it's going to be it's going to be a loan managed by the Small Business Administration. It's going to be issued through the banks, totaling three hundred and forty nine billion dollars. That's already been spent, though, and there's expected to be more to come, another two hundred and fifty billion. So that's good in a way, in that those businesses are keeping operating. But of course, they're coming out the other side." With the, they're going to have uh, hefty debt as a result of all of this. Yeah, I mean, you just look at it and you think you know, this is the, well, this is the initial problem you don't know is there, and your solution is going to make it worse when we come out the other side. So to me, it's mm. setting up if 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 we do finally find a way of taming the coronavirus, and that's still a very big if. Uh, then on the other side, people will say everything's back to normal, and crash, we go into a financial crisis because yeah. most of the uh, the uh, economy won't be able to service the financial commitments they've taken on both before and during the crisis. Yeah, I'm hearing that in a few places. The idea of a double dip uh, recession or, or a recession and a, du- a double dip depression, maybe. Yeah, like the people are talking about a V-shaped recovery. I think that particular letter has gone out of the di- <laughs> out of the dictionary. But a W-shaped yeah. one is quite likely in the sense that you know you're yeah. down, really down. Think you've come back out of it, and then. Uh, suddenly find that your financial sector crashes as well in the aftermath to it. So I do yeah. think we're going to have a, a health fire crisis followed by a financial crisis. And yeah, well, we are just pushing the problem back, aren't we? I yeah. mean, th- th- that idea in the in the US, which is which is open to abuse, I'll come back to that in a second, because there's, the, there's the other factor in all of this. We're making it so complicated, it's open to abuse. But in Australia, allowing people to access their super funds, their retirement money to, to, to get them through. You can take out 10,000 before July, you can take another 10,000 out uh, before September. So that's 20 grand. Uh, the average person in, uh, aged 35 to 44 in Australia has got a, a, a super balance. For men, it's 100,000. For women, it's less than 70,000. So you could be losing up to 28 percent of your super uh not the rich of course they've you know they've got balances in the millions but uh 
uh, and they're not going to care about losing 20,000 but that that becomes a real issue uh, for people if they've if they've lost a whole chunk of their super money to try and get them over this this mm-hmm. hurdle they're going to have to then save up more for their for their retirement which is money that's not going to go into the economy in the interim yeah, and I think also people are realizing that they're, they're, they've been led into a position of incredible fragility by all this financial engineering that's supposed to make their lives more secure for the future. So I think a level of anger is going to rise out of all this, and it'll be more anger than we saw after the global financial crisis. Uh, at that stage, people, to some extent, were blaming themselves. So if you're taking out a loan, you know, there they were, Mar and Par. Uh, kettle uh, with with uh, no academic training behind them, and they they made the mistake of accepting an offer from a bank which has a thousand PhDs in economics advising it, and they blame themselves for making a bad decision. Uh, that isn't going to happen this time round. People are going to say, "I no. didn't I didn't choose to cause the coronavirus. I I didn't choose to uh, delay for for five weeks." Uh, when the whole thing went through. I didn't even choose the lockdown. Uh, and in that situation, yeah. I think anger is going to be much more of an emotion that at this time than it was last time. Well, And the problem with that as well is if you're not giving the people the money that they need to survive, then they, they do get angry. And as we're seeing that in, in parts of the, the United States, like in Michigan, for example, where people are just saying, no, we want to get back to work. And they're ignoring social distancing. They're saying, uh, this is an imposition on our freedom. We want to mm-hmm. start earning until we die, of course. This is one of the horrors of this whole um, situation. The virus couldn't give a damn about whether you're a libertarian or a Marxist. Uh, so long mm. as you're a, a host and you're within reach of another, uh, a Marxist can give it to a libertarian and vice versa. Uh, so the odds the odds are that this is going to expose how fragile our ideologies are as well and how we've designed a, a social system with complete disregard for the biological system that we that this social system is inherently a subset of. And uh, this, this to me, is what is, is terrifying about all this. Uh, w- you know, we, we, had, we really did set ourselves up to make this as bad as possible. Globalised production, uh, a massive emphasis upon transportation and travelling goods and services around the world, uh, even uh, how we behave in public transport, which I normally favour. Uh, public transport is a great way to spread this virus. So, mm. you know, all, all sorts of dilemmas. And we're going to, it, it, it is really a, a the, the one thing I can say it's doing for us is making us realise that biology rules everything on this planet. And we have been ignoring that for far too long. And it's about damn time we took it seriously. Yeah, I wonder whether we will at the end of that. And look, next week I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, what what are we returning to? Is is it going to be normal ever again? Or is it, you know, what's what's our future hold for us? But mm. just looking at, um, you know, the way we've dealt with just the, the economy around the world, I'm just wondering if we're making it more complicated. Obviously, uh, you know, the, the people who listen to this podcast regularly will be saying, well, okay, helicopter money going to everybody so that they can get through. Uh, and and who cares whether some people get money that they don't, open mm. inverted commas, deserve, mm. close inverted, so long as everyone's got some money to keep the economy afloat so that they can buy food, uh, pay their, whether it's their, their mortgage or, or their rent, just enough money and, and therefore come out the other end with enough money to spend. And who cares? If some people come out of it better off than they went in, that's good. If other people are slightly worse off, but they've still they've still survived, um, that's good. The economy can kick up again. But we're not doing that, are we? We're talking about uh, minimum amounts of money going to people who meet uh, very uh, specific criteria, smart to get it through businesses because there's an easy distribution mechanism, 
you know, pay pay your employees and keep them employed. That makes perfect sense. But a lot of it is saying, uh, yeah, take out a, a a loan. So in in the UK, for example, you know, there's there is a scheme where you can you can borrow money through banks, but the same as in the US. But in the UK, it's not happening because the banks still have to carry twenty percent of the liability, and uh, and obviously they're not going to do that because banks never loan to small businesses anyway. At the best of times, and they're certainly not going to start now. Yeah, I know. It it, it it is just so irritating to watch this from the outside and see people who've never understood money. Uh, and haven't understood biology either, managing a biological crisis which is destroying the monetary system and and just, you know, at least they're doing some things correct. One thing can be said in favour of panic. Uh, when you panic, uh, you you forget everything that you thought was not unnecessary uh, or rather you thought was necessary before you got into a situation of panic. And that's where, you know, things like a, a cut-down version of UBI, et cetera, et cetera, has come in. But again, they go back and do all this crazy stuff of saying, let's put conditions on this. Let's slow down how fast the money gets out there. Let's make it less than people need, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I've, that's great. Let's, let's If somebody's fallen overboard, let's keep them six inches below seawater level rather than letting them fall two metres. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, they, 140,000 companies applied for the furloughed worker scheme the beginning of this week in the, in the UK in one day, actually. Uh, it, it counts to basically a million people. But the government is going to pay 80% of the salary for those companies to keep those people on their books for £2,500 uh, per worker per month. Uh, so that I mean that's that's a start. It's going to cost one billion pounds. They could do a lot more, couldn't they? I think they could uh, do a, it's a billion pounds. Is that all? Yeah, that's all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and yet we're talking trillions in yeah, terms tr- tr- of tr- managing liquidity through central banks. One or two trillion pound economy. I mean, again, it, it, the frustration is knowing this could all be done with simple accounting because uh, this is the, the, the one. one uh, fascinating aspect of the British financial system is that the Britain, uh, the Scottish banks put out Scottish pound notes which are legal tender both in Scotland and in, and in the rest of the UK and they're backed by a piece of paper called a Titan which has the face value of £100 million and sits in a vault in the Bank of England and that's simply mm. an accounting exercise. The same thing could be done here. They could use Titans to create all the money they need uh, and it, it, it is effectively it's a life support system uh, when otherwise the system will die. And again, the failure to make a biological analogy um, is, is leading us into a, a biological and financial crisis. And the only argument against that is that if you create too much money, you get inflation. You, you, you keep on getting back to that, don't yeah. you? For which is just a, a null argument right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it, 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 they're actually trying to cause inflation, for God's sake, you know? And, and failing to do that. So it is this bogey, man. We're still fighting not the last war, but the last war before the last war. And uh, there has been some increase in people's awareness about the idea of modern monetary theory and how that you know, money is basically an accounting operation for the government and the banks and that there's awareness there of that. But it still hasn't seeped through to policymakers and we're still getting these half-hearted attempts to make things better, which, of course, are making the system less effective. So, and, and yeah, it, I mean... Inevitably, you, you know, lots of companies will come out of this with with more debt i mean that stands to reason even if you're even if you're getting the government helping pay the salaries of your workers if you if you're not selling anything but you still got overheads you're going to come out with more debt at the end of this you'd be quite happy for a bit of inflation if you're carrying debt yeah i mean one of the ways you can look at inflation it's a form of demurrage uh if you money money has three if you talk about money as a unit of account a store of value and a means of payment now uh one thing which gazelle realized a long time ago and keynes agreed with him is that the 
two roles of a store of value and a means of payment are in conflict with each other. Because if you try to keep it as a store of value, it means you spend it less rapidly. And therefore, the money you have generates less less demand than it does if you treat it as a means of payment. So Gazelle's idea was to put a demurrage uh, on the money so that the longer you held it, the more it declined in value, which was therefore an encouragement to spend. And uh, we need some sort of system that enables that to happen, that you don't have the two functions, the two primary uh, fu- functions of money ab- above the unit of account conflicting with each other. We would let them conflict for the last 30, 40 years and now we're in a situation where we've relied upon a continuous injection of new credit to keep the system going, which has got us to the point of a massive credit and debt overhang. And, you know, we just have to reset the system and, and get... If we could start from the outset, I'd, I'd actually build in demurrage uh, as an automatic part of a monetary system, which is equivalent for having a rate of inflation. So we started to take this whole thing seriously in the middle of March. We're now at the middle of April, just about, uh, and already we're starting to see corporate collapses. So even though, you know, we're, 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 we've got furloughed worker schemes, that's not going to work for the uh, 10,000 people who work for Virgin Australia and the 6,000 people allegedly uh, supporting them uh, in, in, in support industries. So 16,000 people in Australia aren't being furloughed. They're just not making any money whatsoever. So they're basically on the dole. And, you know, there's lots of talks about, well, should we bail out these companies like uh, in the UK, Virgin Atlantic? Should they be bailed out? Should we should we be helping the airlines? What do we do for companies that are facing corporate collapse in these circumstances? We should have been providing cash flow to their workers, um, but we're not doing that. So I, I can see uh, attempts to bail these companies out, even though they've uh, one reason, one thing they've been doing, particularly Virgin being a classic instance of this, they haven't been paying taxes to begin with, and they want to be yeah. bailed out by a state they haven't been supporting, uh, or they've been ripping off in the sense of you know accumulating the money the government creates while the rest of us have to hand it back. So uh, yeah, again, I expect that that's what the governments will do. They'll bail the companies out while still leaving the the the, the, uh, the small actors, the small firms, and the uh, and the workers in the lurch. And I think uh, again, I can't see anything other than social conflict coming out of this in the long term. Well, I think United Airlines has sold a whole load of their aircraft to a to a Chinese bank, and then they're leasing them back, which is a, a you know sensible way of getting cash flow, isn't it? But if you look at uh, Virgin Atlantic, forty nine percent owned by Delta. Last year, Delta bought back over two billion dollars worth of shares. And they want a half billion dollar, uh, half billion pound payout package from the UK government. You know, they should, you know, they would have had plenty of cash if they hadn't bought back those shares. So surely uh, a handout is not needed. They should be, just be saying, right, OK, share issuance, however many you need, issue those shares. We'll buy them back. The government buys them back and then we'll uh, we'll sell them again when they're worth a bit more. Yeah, yeah, that's um that's what we should do. In nationalisation, yeah. basically. Part of nationalization. Fundamentally, nationalisation should be part of it, but that's just not going to happen, I think, I'm afraid. Why is that? I don't understand why not. I it's, mean, we did it with the banks uh, in the global financial crisis. Why wouldn't we do it with, with other companies? We didn't really do it with the banks. We bailed, them, we, we bailed them out on their own terms. Yet again. Well, but in, in the UK, Royal Bank of Scotland, for example, came under state yeah, A very wimpy version. And <laughs> Well, what's the long-term mm. share position for the government there? I think they've handed it back, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, made, I made a loss out of out of, yeah. out of it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, again, ideology is, is, is leading us astray. And I just, 
you know, I, 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 you hope that there'd be a sensible decision made. But as one of the one of I think Mike, one of the patrons, makes the point all the time, you can't expect people uh, who've been trained in the wrong tech, uh, uh, techniques of war to use the right ones. And in this situation, I'll do the wrong ones again. And you've just got to basically yeah. get rid of the ones in charge and put people in charge who understand the system as it actually functions, rather than the ideology. But that's not going to happen. So in we time. need to change a government. Well, I mean, no, well, no, we, we need to change a government. Alec. Change of bureaucrats. <laughs> okay. Well, that that might be easier, but uh, but unfortunately, they're, they're they're going to keep their jobs, aren't they? And and we'll, obviously, business is also going through all of this is going to call for less regulation as well. We're hearing hearing that a great deal, which obviously you know less regulation equals, in other words, lower wages. You know, to to get us through this, we need to be able to make bigger profits. That means we need to get away with all those uh, hard fought gains for from from the workers. We need to yeah, be able to yeah, yeah. screw them to the ground and make more profit. Yeah, and which is the opposite of what we need. We need inequality has been pushed far too far in the direction of the of the of the, uh, of the financial sector against the workers, and we need to go the balance in the opposite direction. So again, uh, to me, this comes across as the revolt of the peasants, not a not not the uh, the, the king doing the right thing by uh, by the peasantry. But will we see a revolt of the peasants, or will we just see like we did last time? The finance sector wins. We have more borrowing. The finance sector grows as a result of that. We do see less regulation. Therefore, uh, we see you know one sector of society growing. The the, the banks and uh, people who are guarding our cash and lending it out, uh, and other people getting paid less, which means obviously greater uh, inequality. Is that going to be the upshot? Um, part of me thinks it probably is. I think I think most likely yes. Unfortunately, yes. I think it is. And uh, I mean, the question is, we're all sort of assuming there'll be a life after the coronavirus. Uh, I think life after the coronavirus is going to have another element of this nature coming our way. Remember, we, for Australia and California, at least, it was preceded by uh, enormous fires. We're seeing the conditions for those fires building up in California yet again right now. Um, this, this is the this is the new normal of the climate breakdown of the climate climatic system affecting the economy, and. Um, uh, you know, I mean, there, there was no way that the Dark Ages started in a peaceable fashion with the Roman administrators deciding to shut the empire down. It fell apart. And I've got a feeling we're seeing something similar this time. And around. We, we're not going to be that well prepared to deal with it because we are going to be, uh, first of all, very d- divided in terms of income. But we are also going to be going through a pretty long recession from all of this, aren't we? A, 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 certainly a period of stagflation because there's going to... I mean, there's going to be or, or stagnation, I should say. There's going to be there's going to be no growth out of all this because we're st- we're still going to be heaped in e- even more debt. Yeah, yeah, and that's the trouble. If, if, if they expect normal behaviour on the other side of this, when the credit system gets smashed, I mean, people have accumulated more debt that they haven't used for speculative gain, but it's been debt that's been used simply for survival. Then servicing that extra debt will mean they're not going to take on any more credit at that stage. You'll have negative credit in the aftermath of this crisis, rather than positive and bang. We're back on a financial crisis once more. But isn't that the point at which people start to go, hang on a second, why are we not getting any growth out of all of this? Why is there no uh, V-shaped or U-shaped or even W-shaped curve? It's just an L-shaped curve. Uh, at some point, someone's going to go, well, how do we get out of this? We've, we've got to heap money on it and uh, and and a debt. Ju- you know, that, that Steve Keane was talking about debt jubilees. Maybe we should listen to that guy. Let's have a see. I mean, I, I'm still worried about uh, the you know, complete 
social breakdown coming out of this one, not uh, not a more sensible change from people who don't understand the system than those that do. We've got to jump across from Ptolemy to Copernicus uh, in one go and get and get and get the Ptolemaic astronomers to understand that the Earth is not the centre of the universe. That just doesn't happen. <laughs> well, at least we understand that. We, that much we do understand, but that, perhaps that's where our sphere of learning uh, stopped. Good to talk, Steve. Look, next time we will look at, uh, you know, what uh, what happens next. What is the new normal? So a chance to expand on some of that thinking. Yeah. See you soon. Okay, Matt. And you know what? Before that, we might also squeeze in the podcast, which has been sitting around for a while, unpublished. Steve and I talking about the collective works of Adam Smith. Uh, what can we take out from Adam Smith's collective works, if anything at all? Uh, so we'll do that next time. And then back in a week, also talking about the coronavirus. I'm Phil Dobby. He's Steve Keen. This is the Debunking Economics podcast. Subscribe and you can get access to all of these. There's a couple of hundred of them. Uh, we'll see you again soon. Thanks for listening. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.